What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grosso coming to us live from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Steve is following strict NYSE rules and is required to wear a mask at all times while on the trading floor. Coming up on Fast, a hidden truth lurking inside today's income data. Why the headline number may not be telling the full story, we'll break down how you can trade it. Plus, Lululemon stretching higher, but one of our traders is saying namaste to this name. And later, a total buzzkill in the cannabis space. We will find out what went wrong last quarter for canopy growth. But we begin with China. President Trump ramping up the rhetoric today, but stopped short of taking harsh new policy action against Beijing. Let's get to Kayla Taoshi live in Washington with all the details. Kayla. Melissa, today's policy announcement by President Trump was essentially just a doubling down on pre-telegraphed policies that the administration had already announced. Today, from the Rose Garden, President Trump said that the U.S. would be terminating its relationship with the World Health Organization, that it would be suspending entry into the U.S. for certain students and researchers that it finds to be affiliated uh, with Chinese military arms, that it would be starting a study of the Chinese company's accounting practices and exactly uh, what their their role within the financial markets is with a potential delisting on the table there, and then also studying the economic status of Hong Kong and possibly eliminating special treatment for that territory in the wake of Beijing's new national security law. And most of that was already laid out by White House or administration officials in the weeks leading up to today. But what moved the market in a positive fashion after this announcement was what President Trump was presented with but decided not to enact. Those actions ranged from possible sanctions on top members of the Chinese Communist Party, penalties on assets and financial institutions affiliated with the Chinese government and any sort of suspension of a phase one trade deal. Now, my sources say that President Trump and uh, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin want China to be the one backing out of that deal if anything about it is going to change. Currently ongoing right this moment, the White House is holding a panel with CEOs and the president on economic recovery and the reopening going on across the United States. We'll monitor that, Melissa, and get you any news that we have from those CEOs as it pertains to today's announcement on China and broader economic metrics here in the U.S. when we get it. Back to you. Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausch in Washington. Let's take a look at the market reaction to the president's comments. Tech and semiconductors seeing particular strength as the China trade deal remains intact for now, but the possibility that things could change is weighing on one top strategist and fast money friend, J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovich, dialing down his positive outlook for stocks, saying, quote, a breakdown of supply chains and international trade between the U.S. and China would justify equities trading drastically lower. So did the president put those worries to bed today or could trade reemerge as a big market threat this summer? And more broadly than trade, just the sort of ramping tensions between the U.S. and China, which could result in, you know, domestic Chinese consumers, for instance, not buying American products, Tim. 
Yeah, and, and I think, first of all, you have to give Marco a lot of credit. J.P. Morgan's team has, has had a very, I think, sensible call here where they've looked at market factors, they've looked at ownership, uh, they've looked at momentum, but they've also then started to look at, at, at fundamentals. And so, you know, Marco and team saying, hey, uh, not as buoyant of a, of a return to work in terms of the economy is something um, I think we should be listening to. Um, having said that, uh, you know, the, the, the word of the day yesterday was bluster. Um, and and uh, look, on China trade policy, bluster is certainly the need on both sides. Remember, this is, there's a lot of posturing and jawboning on both sides. But but, you know, ultimately, who's really in a position uh, to, to dig their heels in right now? And again, we'll, we'll kind of weigh uh, the short term to the medium term. Who can be a longer term player here when it comes to stocks? Uh, and look how we reacted in the last hour and 10 minutes of trading. And look at some of these Chinese ADR names. Alibaba from 254 to the close was up uh, just over 4 percent somewhere around 198 uh, to 207 on the close. So um, we saw that with Tencent. We saw that with emerging markets. We saw that with semis. Um, I, I, I think if you look at semiconductors, they're the best roadmap to follow for what we had last year. And remember what kept going higher. Uh, semis were going higher even in the face of this. I, I think right now um, we can continue to see that type of movement. The other part of Marco's call in terms of dialing down the optimism is, is that he believes that there has been politicization of the COVID-19 issue uh, and that perhaps that could impact consumer behaviors and that could influence the timeline for reopening the economy. And if only half the economy reopens, that's not enough to get him to, to the forecast of all-time highs in 2021. Steve Grasso, I'm curious what you think of the, today's action. It did seem like the markets traded as if there was pretty much an all-clear when it comes to the worst-case scenario regarding China. Yeah, I, I think that the markets are trading on, well, two things. Today was the uh, MSCI rebalance day. So that influenced a lot of the flows. But when you look at China, I think a lot of that is secondary. Let's just look at what the market's pricing in. The market's pricing in a pandemic. So they're not worried about China just yet. It might affect the, mar uh, the headlines from minute to minute, but ultimately we're worried about the pandemic. And the one word that's going to save all this in shareholders is the Fed. If the Fed is still there, central banks are still there, we're going to look past China for the meantime. We, we've, we already looked at China trade. So China trade was the major headwind for this market, for the economy. We heard all that before. The market shrugged it off. So what is the market going to do now with the same sort of ratcheting up? As long as you keep the trade deal intact, I think that the market will continue to grind higher and it's myopic on the pandemic. So once these economies start to reopen, if we don't get hiccups, it's a big if. But today, this is the first day I'm back since March. And if we, we start to see reopenings of economies and we don't see major spikes higher in cases or in deaths, the market will grind higher because the Fed is still there. Karen, market thoughts. Yeah, I kind of agree with both Tim and, and Steve. I think that Trump was trying to thread a needle today, which was to blame China very directly for COVID coming to the United States so that it, they're responsible. He's not responsible. Reelect him. That was part of the message. The other part of the message is I'm going to talk very tough on, on China, which he did, but I'm actually not going to do anything because I don't want to rock the boat for this recovery or for the markets. So I think that was what he was looking to do. I think he was somewhat successful, certainly in the 
second and third part of that. So uh, I agree with Steve. It's, it's the Fed and it's uh, how, are, how are things going to open? We heard, Guy, uh, during the negotiation of the phase one trade deal uh, of all sorts of other little ways that China retaliated short of official actions, slowing down of shipments uh, at ports, for instance, to, to sort of gum up the supply chain. I mean, things like that can still happen even without any sort of official retaliatory action from Beijing. No question about it. And look, I, I, a lot of this takes place with no return of serve from the Chinese. I mean, you're going to see a return of serve. I mean, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to believe this rhetoric's not going to get ratcheted up. I think everybody makes fair points. I think President Trump successfully, at least in the eyes of the market, thread a needle. A lot of that had to do with the fact that it's probably month-end, time of the day, all those things. But, you know, that was a pretty hawkish statement if you really listen to it. And I'm hard-pressed to believe there's not going to be some um, return of serve by the Chinese next week. So although I do think the Fed controls much of this, I think this heightened rhetoric between the U.S. and the Chinese can't be underestimated in terms of what it means to the market. So label me a probably somewhat skeptical still. Sunday night should be a very interesting night, Tim. Yeah, I, I think we'll, we'll get uh, more politics and more grandstanding. But, but I, I also would just fall back on, um, yeah, return of serve is, is fine. I, I, I think both sides need to kind of dig in their heels on the baseline, and we're going to see a long rally of this. This isn't going to end overnight. Um, so I, I think both politicians will do what they need to do. Uh, meanwhile, stimulus on both sides of the world uh, is going to continue. So I, I, markets are, are more focused on that. Uh, think of where we were with the trade war, even at the low points. And when the Fed stepped in, the trade war meant nothing. Uh, and I, uh, you know, for better or worse, we're not happy about the Fed. We're not happy about nationalizing assets in our credit markets. Um, I don't think we are. I'm not. But uh, I, I think this is this is the market dynamic that we have. Right here's now. the question. I mean, here's the other question. Aside from formal actions from Beijing, formal retaliation is that, you know, we have U.S. companies going into deepening their presence in China, relying on China for growth. We just did you see the move in Beyond Meat today? It's, it was a five plus percent uh, on news that it was, you know, forming a relationship with KFC and Yum uh, in China. It was up. Oh, yeah, 6%. Thank you, Engel, you know, control room here for, for firing up this graphic. Um, we, we just, you know, did the story recently about Popeyes going into Shanghai and the huge lines. I mean, U.S. companies are depending on China for growth. So can that continue in parallel with ramped up U.S.-China relations, Karen? Um, I don't. I, I, I think on the one hand it can. I think that Chinese consumers are going to want, um, you know, the Popeyes of the world. But on the other hand, we, you know, the trade war last time was a very big message for companies that they need to have alternatives in their supply chain to China, and so that wasn't fully implemented. And I think there are still um, companies that, you know, need to have alternative supply chains, so they're doing that. Um, I don't know which of those two factors is bigger, though. All right. Coming up, shares of Lululemon stretching higher today. One Wall Street firm says this rally has legs. <laughs> but Karen thinks it might be downward-facing dog from here. We'll find out why. And later, big problems in the small caps. The chart master is here, and he sees warning signs brewing in the beaten-down space. We are back right after this quick break. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? 
Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Lululemon jumping today after analysts at Raymond James upped their price target on the athleisure company to $335. That's a 34% increase. So, uh, Karen, you're in the name. What do you make of the call? Yes. Um, I actually agree with everything that he said, right? They are well positioned for many reasons, including they already have a very well established online presence, the focus on wellness, the focus on being comfortable and at home, and their somewhat green inventory, which allows them to not need to take markdowns because things are out of season. And so that, that helps them maintain their gross margin. I also do believe that their revenues will actually su- surprise to the upside. And I think there's going to be a rush to, he's the high on the street now, so I think there'll be a rush to chase. But for me, this was really a portfolio positioning. The stock was up 35 plus percent, so it was bigger. And then everything else I had was not up 35 percent. So it was a bigger dollar position and a bigger position in the overall portfolio. And lastly, I felt like if I, you know, I have to sell some to ensure that it goes up. It was sort of a sacrificial <laughs> lamb kind of thing. But now I'm feeling chill and Good with what I had. <laughs> I did like the point, and I never thought so about it. But it, 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 <laughs> it makes total sense, Karen. I mean, you know, Capri leggings and a muscle tank, those are not, it's not like a spring season sort of thing. It's like an all year round kind of thing, right, Guy? I mean, uh, yoga has no bounds when it comes to seasonality. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's, it's you know, it, it's a full year situation without question. And this is one of the the retailers that we've been pretty steadfast on across the board for quite some time. So we're not speaking about this in a vacuum. I I absolutely think it can get there. The knock is valuation. The other side of that is their growth is pretty ridiculous. And as we've mentioned a number of times, they've gone from selling, you know, one pair of men's underwear to now 50 percent of their stuff seems to be men's. And that's a huge growth opportunity. So they're probably late to the dance, but you know what? They're in the dance now, and I think it could absolutely get there. All right, let's stick with the retail here. We got a big read on the health of the U.S. consumer today. Personal income jumping 10% in April, thanks in part to government stimulus checks, while spending plunged a record 13.6%. But are these numbers really telling the real story about what is going on with the consumer? Let's bring in Mark Zandi, chief economist at Moody's Analytics. Mark, great to speak with you. Thank you, Melissa. Uh, Wages and salaries went down by 8 percent. I'm wondering, Mark, um, if we've seen the full extent of the impact of the pandemic on wages and salaries in this number. Uh, No, uh, that's for the month of April. So we got one more really bad month this month, the month of May. So we'll probably lose another four or five million jobs. So we'll get uh, some big negative numbers uh, for May. Uh, but we'll, a lot of that will be offset by the continued uh, unemployment insurance benefits and, and other stimulus checks. So 
In May, net-net, I think it's going to be uh, more of a wash. In, in April, as you saw, the, 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 the stimulus checks and the UI was even more than the loss of, of wages, and, and that really helped to support spending as well as it was, uh, as well as it was supported. In terms of, in terms of the, the sort of waves of, of layoffs happening, Mark, I mean, we saw that first in the lower income segment, at, you know, services industries, for instance, uh, and then it rolls over to the to white collar, um, traditionally more immune uh, to, to layoffs in this sort of situation. I'm wondering if, if, if that will impact the numbers greatly and in turn bring down those wage numbers, because not only are people losing their jobs, Mark, but even anecdotally, the Fed has reported that there are pay cuts going on at companies. And even if companies decided that they would give their employees pay cuts to share in the pain, so to speak, those pay cuts may not even take effect until June. Yeah, I know. I mean, one of the most, uh, you know, from a kind of an academic perspective, stunning things about this is the broad-based nature of the job loss. I mean, the Bureau of Labor Statistics each month publishes employment across 250 or so, so industries. And last month, uh, all but a handful saw job loss. And the, and the handful were uh, uh, non-store retail, couriers, postal service, uh, general merchandise, because, you know, the targets and Walmarts of the world are capturing market share and, and are doing pretty well. Uh, but that gives you a sense of the magnitude of the job loss. And uh, that's, that's all kinds of jobs. And, uh, you know, while many of them will come back as businesses reopen, many will not. There will be a lot of business failures. And so uh, this will put a lot of pressure on, on incomes for a long time to come and, and obviously remain a significant weight on consumer spending going forward. Tim's got a question. Hey, Mark, great to hear from you as usual. Uh, how about inflation? I think people are all over the map. So we're coming out of, obviously, we spent a year yeah. getting through a credit crisis, which is deflationary. Um, everything I'm sensing and we're hearing about, you know, New Jersey just raised toll prices 36 percent yesterday. Any business that's getting back is going to raise prices. Airlines are going to raise prices because capacity has been cut massively. What's your call on inflation? And, and is that also going to be something that maybe we wait three months, then we see it? Yeah, I, I think it's, Tim, it's a, it's a disinflationary shock. I don't think it's an inflationary shock. I mean, there are going to be uh, spot price increases for products and services that are in, in, in shortage. Uh, yeah, you'll, you'll see that. But broadly speaking, you know, because unemployment is very high, you know, we're going to be north of 20 percent in May. You know, even after the businesses reopen, we're going to be close to double digit. Uh, that's going to weigh very heavily on consumer demand. Businesses just won't have the pricing power. I, I'll give you one data point, just a little bit uh, more anecdotal. Yeah. We run a survey off of one of our websites. We've been doing it weekly since 2003. And last week, uh, not a single business said they were raising prices. Now, you know, it's 350 businesses across the globe, so it's not all-encompassing. There are businesses that are raising prices, but that gives you sense of magnitude here. So, no, I, I think this is disinflationary. Now, Maybe on the other side of the pandemic, uh, when demand improves and then it bumps up against, you know, less supply, you know, all these industries are going to rationalize and downsize. Yeah. Then you'll see some price increases. But that's on the other side of the pandemic. Mark, great to speak with you. Thanks for your time. Sure thing. Mark Zandi, Moody's Analytics. Uh, Steve Grasso, what's your feeling about the consumer seeing that, uh, you know, as Mark says, we may not have seen the worst in terms of the impact on the consumer in terms of wages and therefore spending? Totally reasonable for Mark to feel that way. And I think that this time period either makes Mark's job the easiest it's ever been or the toughest it's ever been. I think we're so close right now to the fire that a lot of these numbers have so many mixed meanings in it. They all have to run their course. This is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. 
So I think until we can get past this and the economy started again, I think you, you can't pay 100 percent attention to any one number. I think you have to wait its duration, not one number at a time. There's also a psychological component to living through the pandemic. And, you know, in, in these numbers that we got today, uh, personal savings jumped to 33, up 33 percent. So that rate is a record high. And it's, we might be entering a period in which the consumer has a sort of Great Depression mentality. They were sort of scarred by seeing the extent of job losses all around them. So even if he or she maintained a job, they might be socking away more money thinking, you never know, Karen. Yeah, I think that that is a concern for um, for con- those that re- rely on consumer spending. But I think we'll end up seeing that there are companies that are still going to do well, like a Lululemon, who have exactly what the customer wants. And then a lot who are really not, particularly if they have debt, like a Macy's. I think, you know, we're learning what are the things we can do without. And um, to me, um, Macy's doesn't, doesn't fulfill what the customer really wants in a way that Lululemon does. And I do think, though, something like Starbucks, actually for a relatively small amount of money, can have the consumer feel like, oh, I have a little bit of a sense of back to normal. This was one of my daily things that I loved. All right. Coming up, blunt trauma to shares of Canopy Growth. Our Cannabis King is here to break down what happens. Much more Fast Money in two. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. Talk about a buzzkill. Shares of canopy growth going up in smoke on dismal earnings. Medical cannabis use was in high demand, but recreational revenue took a major hit. Um, Tim, what's your take here? Well, look, this this is a disappointing. These are terrible headlines. Um, the question is, what was the market's expectation? I, I think the, the falling sales and, and the deceleration on adult, both B2C and B2B, uh, was disappointing. Um, I, I think to, to the extent that they're losing market share in Canada, um, low 20s into high teens is, is disappointing. Um, gross margin improvements, what they wanted to do is what they promised the market. Um, I think in terms of the impairment charges, look, um, these restructuring charges are, are necessary. They're painful. Um, but, but where assets were bought uh, and where they were marked uh, was unrealistic. And we've talked about valuations of cannabis for a long time. So, um, you know, what, what I like about this is this management team is experienced in consumer products. And you know, David Klein, I, I think, gave a, a, a very stern and kind of serious uh, you know, assessment of what they need to do to turn this business around. But they're, they're restructuring, they're rationalizing in, in, mm-hmm. in a way that makes sense for this industry. They've cut 40 percent of their capacity in Canada. And now they've got $2 billion of cash on their balance sheet, $2 billion. 
um, at a time when a lot of companies are scrambling. This company has enormous uh, opportunities to be opportunistic. So I think it's led by the right team. Uh, it's in the right space. It's got the most amount of cash. And at this point, I think you've largely marked down a lot of this at this point. These were not great numbers. Uh, and the, the stock had run massively. We talked about it run 80 percent in nine or 10 days into this print. This was a terrible headline, but this was not a terrible new right. reality for Canopy Growth. Yeah, the news, though, had an impact on the rest of the sector. Steve Grasso, where are you now in cannabis? So I, I, I'm associated with some private companies now, but if I had to pick one of the public ones, it would either be Canopy or Kronos. You have to get a company that has a long runway in front of them and also has partners with Deep Pockets. Both of them have partners with Deep Pockets. It did strike me as odd that, to Tim's point, the recreational use was not off the charts because when you're shelter in place, there's a couple of things to do when you're at home. And I would assume that that recreation would have been a strong point. But I, I would stay in the space. I think the major headwinds have been sliced through. Now we know what Grasso does at home. Let's go to the final trade around the horn, Tim. <laughs> Yeah. So Karen mentioned Starbucks. I think this is one of those luxuries uh, Americans want a, a, a big piece of as they get back into it. Company, the country's reopening. I think Starbucks is going to see some very interesting numbers in the next month. Karen. Yeah, if we see some uh, increased rhetoric from China over the weekend and Baba opens down, I would be a buyer. Steve. I was never a pothead, Fokker. IGV, the iShares expanded software. <laughs> Guy Dami. Don't puff the magic dragon, Mel. And I got to tell you, cybersecurity is going to be big. Fire eye. <laughs> Just say no. Thanks for watching. Options Action's up next. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.